from Reboot. This is In Quarantine. I'm Steve Bodo, here talking about life during Corona. Guys, you know, this is a full-service podcast. You know that. And today, we've got not just a scientist, but an epidemiologist, which is clearly, this is the new high-status profession. You really, you cannot have a dinner party these days without having an epidemiologist. You, you also, you, you can't really have a dinner party these days, but if you could, eh. So where are we? We're like, well, week nine, nine-ish, high single figures. Here in slightly upstate New York is where we still are. Uh, the big event this week, my wife went and she got tested for COVID. And she got one of the good tests too, the antibody test, like the needle in your arm blood draw antibody test. It's the Cadillac of COVID tests. The reason back in mid-late February, we were still back in New York City, and we both got sick. First it was me, then it was her. We had this grab bag of what at the time seemed like, you know, flu symptoms, but that we now recognize as signs of COVID. It was dry cough, body aches, da 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 And then, you know, a week or two ago, we started hearing the news stories that scientists now know that at that time, there were actually thousands of undetected COVID cases in New York. So, you know, we got pretty excited because obviously nobody wants to have COVID but everybody wants to have had it. Getting COVID is like dating Johnny Depp. You really should avoid doing it if you can, especially if you're older. But to have done it, it's pretty cool. And probably it'll help you build up some useful immunities. So anyway, we're those people. She gets the test. We wait a week and then finally the lab calls and they say, uh, we misplaced the test. But it's fine. We still have the test. It's been in storage. It's safe. The results are coming soon. So back to waiting. They call back again, and the result comes back negative, negative. No COVID for us. We never dated Johnny Depp. And it's back to normal, which these days means, you know, not at all normal. But the infection rate does seem to be leveling off here around New York, which is great, though it is taking off in a lot of the rest of the country. Uh, one of those hotspots is Georgia, which is where my guest is today. Karen Levy, I should say Dr. Karen Levy, is an infectious disease epidemiologist and microbiologist at Emory University's Rollins School of Public Health in Atlanta. She focuses on enteric food and waterborne diseases, which, as she explained to me in a very helpful email, is a euphemism for diarrhea. Huh? Karen, welcome to In Quarantine. Thank you. Uh, Dr. So, diarrhea here. So how did you first become interested in diarrhea? That's something I've never said to anyone before. <laughs> uh, I remember asking my uh, PhD advisor that when I was starting to study it. And then here I am. Uh, I was interested in water. And water, diarrhea is a waterborne disease. So that's where they come together. What was the road not taken? You, you went with diarrhea, choosing it over? Well, I thought vector-borne diseases were pretty cool. They're, you know, I mean, mosquitoes, but I went with the water. Ah, well done. Um, all kidding aside, I really am excited to have an epidemiologist to talk to. Tell me, how's the, just personally, how's the isolating been for you? Are you, you're working from home? Who's there with you? How long have you been in? How's it going? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's hard, just like it is for pretty much everybody out there. But overall, we're trying to focus on how lucky we are um, to have a good house to live in and um, a nice setup. 
Um, we started from the very beginning. We uh, made a decision as soon as schools closed, we teamed up with another family and we've been uh, self-isolating, not live, we're living in our own houses, but we're sharing the childcare and uh, homeschooling activities. So oh, that's interesting. been so you're really a team helpful. Of, a team of two families. So is that, there's, uh, is that four adults around and a number of kids? Four adults, four kids, and all professors, all were doing online teaching uh, and keeping up our research programs. And, um, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been fun. How did you go about selecting the family to do this with? How do you, we've thought about that, too. We're here. We're in this house upstate. Very nearby are some houses with friends of ours, and it's a negotiation about whether we're going to do that mixing or not. We haven't yet because, you know, not everyone's on the same exact page about what level of risk they're comfortable with. Yeah, well, we decided from the very beginning uh, to make it a completely reciprocal not a reciprocal monogamous relationship. So um, <laughs> it was really, it was really based on that our I mean we're we're good friends with the parents and then uh, the kids uh, play together every day at their after care program and really wanted to be able to see each other. So it worked out really well. Um, the funny thing is that uh, the, the other mom is also an infectious disease expert. So she she studies flu. So she studies the evolution and dynamics of flu. So she knows a lot about respiratory pathogens. So this is both good and bad because oh, we can, yeah. you know, obsess about the science and share information between uh, the families, but we also can't really get away from it because the minute we start talking about something else, we can go back to talking about COVID again. And what level are you guys at? Are you quarantining packages that come in for a period of time? Uh, how you feel about the curbside delivery? What's your level? Yeah, we do. We've been, um, we take in, um, like wipes and wipe down, disinfecting wipes and wipe down things coming in from the outside. When we've gone to the grocery store, we kind of, well, so we read the science, right? So we read the mm -hmm. paper and there was a 24-hour die-off period for anything that was like cardboard or paper. So those things go in one spot. And then there was a 48-hour period for things on plastics or and 72, let's see, 72 hours for plastics and 48 for metals. Uh, and so we kind of like divide things uh, by their materials and quarantine them in the pantry before consuming them. So we, you know, we get nerdy about it. Yeah, I should hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> if there was a thing that you could have people understand about this epidemic, how it's going and our approach to it, what would that be? That's a great question. And the number one thing, um, you know, I've talked to some different reporters and things, and the number one thing I would just, I like to talk about is, can we talk about this comparison with the flu? Um, it just is a, it's a, it's not a great, comparison. Um, because even if let's say, I mean, COVID is, is uh, more dangerous than the flu, but even if it had the same impact, uh, it's that there, it, there's just a total difference in terms of the number of people who are susceptible to the infection. So in the flu, some people are susceptible, like some people have had it before, some people got their flu shot. Whereas 
with with SARS-CoV-2, the whole world is susceptible. It's brand new. So when you multiply even a small number by an enormous number, you're still going to get an enormous number. That number, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, um, you know, basically what we're doing is we have this just huge dry forest and we're throwing a match into it and all of the trees are ready to go up in flames. So that's the, you know, of course, some might be more hardy than the others, but everybody is potentially susceptible to it because they haven't seen it before in terms of their immune systems. Right. Now you're down in Georgia. Most of the people I've certainly been interacting with, but even talking to are, you know, here in the Northeast or out on the West Coast. Uh, It does seem like uh, that part of the country, the South, is reacting somewhat differently uh, to this than, than we have been up here. Why do you think that is? What is it about the South? Uh, why does the attitude seem to be different? It's hard to say. I've been I've been just totally shocked, probably naively. I shouldn't have been so shocked, but uh, I've been so shocked about how political it's gotten. Um, to you know, to think about science and to think about and the, and the the response to this has just become so political, um, and so I think that is a huge part of it. Um, and How long have you lived in Georgia now? Ten, ten years? years. Ten years. Yeah. And maybe this is a question more for a sociologist than an epidemiologist. But what seems to be driving the different attitude? Why are more people down there susceptible, so to speak, to that kind of political response? Yeah, and I think there's also, I mean, there's also the rural-urban divide. So, you know, in in Atlanta, the mayor of Atlanta has been sparring on Twitter with the governor. Uh, she is um, very much still wanting to um, take things a little bit more cautiously than the governor. Right. So I think that that represents, you know, her urban constituency. So Georgia opened or started pulling back on the restrictions, what, 10 days ago, two weeks ago? Uh, time right now. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah. I, I, time, I'm living it. We're living right, We're right. all living uh, it. A, a period of time ago. Um, how does it feel different since that happened? Well, I have my new tattoo and uh, I've been to the bowling alley. And, Great. Uh, <laughs> and um, four haircuts. <laughs> my nails look great. Um, let's see. I I mean it's hard for me to know because I've kind of um, been continuing to stay inside. Mm. I definitely see more cars on the road. So just following the science, what would you expect to happen with the level of opening that's going on there? Oh, I think it's premature, and I think that what we're going to see is a second wave. I mean, I, I think it's hard to imagine that not happening, and that's going to be true everywhere. Unfortunately, um, we are going to see additional waves, even in the places that have controlled it pretty well. So I ask you to explain the second wave thing because I've, I've seen the charts and I've I've tried to understand it, but but I don't I don't quite right. I especially don't understand the timing with which a second wave is going to come. Um, you say it's going to happen because we're reopening now. How long can we expect it to take, and what is it that informs the length of time that a second wave would take to show up? That's a great question. So basically, what what we've done is you know before we were all just mixing like normal. We were going to concerts or you know going to doing everything that we normally do. Right. In retrospect, um, disgusting. (laughs) It's funny to look back at photos. You're like, ah, I'm standing (laughs) so close to that person. (laughs) Um, So then the 
problem is that then when we open up again, you still, it's, you know, the, the fire analogy is quite good. Um, so how long it takes totally depends on like a lot of different factors, but how many embers you still have out in, in society, how likely those people are to pass it on to other people. But when, when, if you just open it up and there's still a lot of people who don't have any immunity to this and with uh, exponential growth, it just grows again because one person's passing it to on average two to three people, that person's um, uh, passing it to another two or three people. And so it just starts growing um, again. So, so, you know, the models basically suggest that we'll have to kind of be living like this for a while until we can either build up enough immunity in the population um, or until we can get um, better vaccine or a vaccine online, yeah. better ther- therapeutics. You know, this this brings up something that I've wondered about um, as there's a a kind of uh, a yin and yang, it seems, between the epidemiological and medical concerns on the one hand and wanting to obviously keep as many people safe and healthy as possible. And on the other hand, the very real and significant economic fallout from all of this. And people making the policy choices, you know, they're trying to balance those and they're some are making choices that seem better than others, but both those things are the considerations. When epidemiologists are making the determinations or recommendations that they are, do you try to take into account any sort of economic concern or or is it more that you view, well, no, we're the scientists, we're going to report the science and then other folks can take on the economics and policymakers can be the ones to uh, to make the choices to balance them? Yeah, it, I mean, it's a great question. It's kind of come down to that. Um, we see it playing out in the, yeah. in, you know, the national, in the headlines, like, okay, we've just decided we're going to, the economy is too important. We're just going to plow forward. Um, I think that that's actually been something that's been um, interesting to observe with the science that's coming out of it. Like the modelers are, uh, the way these models work, I mean, this is like mathematical models. So it selects for a certain kind of person who's doing that and they're into the numbers and they're going to, you know, quantify. And you could say that probably about all scientists um, that you're focused on the science of the situation, meaning like the transmission dynamics and how many new cases you're going to have. And if you do this social distancing, here's, you know, how those numbers, how the Right. How the yeah. how the, the dynamics the, will play out. Yeah, that discipline is to measure these health effects, and so the the output there is one that to optimize for better health outcomes. But that's not the only kind of outcome that we need to consider. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of on the scientist is like develop. There, it is possible to develop models that also take into account these other factors, and you're trying to optimize for the economy versus um, versus the um, you know, the, the health impacts and, you know, with all these models, you have to take in so many different things into account. And so that's like one thing, that's a piece that I don't think that the science has done very effectively. Um, Cause it's just, the models just sort of weren't designed to do that, but we've kind of not done a great right. job. Or, or it'd be great to see, uh, like I'm sure there's teams of scientists work on things all the time. It'd be good to see maybe, uh, you know, a, a team of Scientists, Economist. epidemiologists, yeah, exactly sure. working together and saying, "Hey, we, this is the nexus of these things." Th- that seems like that could be a very useful tool. Yeah, it's just there's so many 
like non-linearities there, you know, like sure. you, who knows oh, what's hey, going to happen. I, I know all about non-linearities. <laughs> so there's a lot of inter, you know, just for the people who don't know factors. what the non-linearities are, what is, what exactly are non-linearities? It's like the butterfly flaps its wings and in China, uh, I guess is how the saying goes. And uh, that <laughs> sets into a whole, whole set of, you know, no, I thought this was bats. Now it's butterflies. Now it's Chinese butterflies. <laughs> this exactly. is not clarifying a lot for me. Don't forget about the pangolins. <laughs> oh, the pangolins. I feel bad about the pangolins. I, I didn't know that they were so heavily trafficked. I guess they're just, they're just like nature's little bowling balls. I didn't know that anyone would have wanted to traffic in them, but apparently their adorability has maybe caused a global pandemic. There's a lot I don't understand, Karen. That's why I needed to talk to you. There's a lot I don't understand. <laughs> um, you're at Emory now. You have been for these 10 years, but you're very soon heading out. Where are you going and for what? Yeah. So my husband and I both just got new jobs at the University of Washington. So um, we are now trying to uh, plan a cross-country move, including moving our labs and our whole research programs across the country in the middle of a pandemic. Piece of cake. Um, what are, <laughs> how, how do you, how do you possibly like, what are the considerations you have to make for, for doing that? Oh, I mean, it's, 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 it's never ending. I mean, we're, you know, putting the house on the market, not the best timing to sell a house, uh, trying to find a new place to live out there, uh, trying to make sure, you know, our students are taken care of, administrative, boring, long list of tasks. How do you move a lab? Or or I should say, I'm not especially interested in how you would move a lab in normal times. Like if I can be honest, I, I'm never going to need to move a lab. I don't need to know. What I do want to know is because we're in a pandemic, what do you have to do different from what you would normally have to do? I mean, moving a lab isn't that different from moving a house. So same kind of thing. You pack up your stuff. And that's that's disillusioning. I sort of. Well, I don't have all that super. Wanted there to be. Oh man, I wanted there to be like serious biohazard danger. Well, and stuff like we've that. got some samples that were in the freezer, and we have to figure out how to get those across the country. But what we might do is just wait. Emory's being very nice and letting me. Is the job in Washington very different from what it has been? Or are you just keeping your focus, but doing it there. Yeah, pretty much keeping our focus and doing it there. My whole family is in California, so we've been wanting to get back to the West Coast. Gotcha. It's not that there's more diarrhea in Seattle than Atlanta. <laughs> I'll find out soon. Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> um, and tell me, uh, this is a reboot podcast, and so uh, I love to ask everybody, how's it been going with the Jewish stuff during the pandemic? What's the Jewiest thing that you've done, say? So... We have started um, doing regular Shabbats with my family in California that's a, that's over Zoom. That's a big popular one. A lot of people are hitting that. Yeah. So every Friday we get together with my sisters and my parents and my cousin who's in New Jersey and um, do that on Zoom. We have we had two Passover seders, both on Zoom. Uh, we have a group, a Havdalah group, that we get together with seven other families. Oh, that's um, next level. Well, that's just under normal times we do they're all people who are half the couple is half jewish half not jewish yeah uh, we're one of those as well so we've been you know trying to do some zoom chatting with that group as well when you do it is it chaotic or do you guys have like have the uh 
have it down now how to how to run one properly. Uh, the best thing we did is that we separated out uh, the kids so they have their own Zoom room and the adults have a Zoom room, so they can be all crazy and have fun, and we can get all depressive and talk about COVID. It's just that's perfect. It's what everybody wants. <laughs> are your kids? Uh, because as as kids of scientists, are they more tuned in than average to what's going on in the science of all this? That's a good question. I don't know. The only kids I see these days are kids of scientists. So <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I don't have a good comparison group. Well, uh, maybe a, a question is, are do they seem more interested in the topic and what you do than they did three months ago? No, they're interested in their iPads. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, some I things think... are not infectious, okay? <laughs> no, I think they might be uh I'll tell you I think that um this is not about my own kids, but I think that we're going to have a lot more interest in we're going to have a lot more students applying to our programs in the coming years now. Oh, everybody... for sure. No, as I was saying at the beginning, like epidemiology hot, hot, hot. It's No, I I don't know if you got into it cuz it was sexy, but it's sexy now. <laughs> well, at least everybody knows how to pronounce epidemiology now. If nothing else, that's a sure sign of respect. <laughs> the New York Times called epidemiologists the new rock stars. That was pretty exciting. You guys are killing it, so to speak. <laughs> Karen, thank you so much for coming on in quarantine. Absolutely. My pleasure. For more on Karen's work, check the link on our show page. For In Quarantine, I'm Steve Bodo saying, well, are there ever false negatives? <laughs>